This has been on my heart for several weeks now. Actually, it's uh, probably born or birthed out of our lessons that we're doing on Wednesday night called Called to Reign, R-E-I-G-N, Reign as sons, daughters as of God, knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. Because knowing who you are in Christ, if you don't know that, and if you're not aware of how much God loves you and what the Father's perspective of you is, you, will, you cannot be the Christian and, and free in your spirit that God has your destiny to be able to enjoy that. So really this message kind of is birthed out of that. And you'll remember in Exodus and other locations in the scripture, there came a time that God led his children, his people out of Israel, and their destination was to go to the promised land. And they were slaves for 430 years, so they didn't know anything about fighting and warfare. And when they were faced with taking the promised land, they knew there were giants, they knew there were enemies, they knew all the Ite family as well as all the, the ecology people, you know, were at Lanky Free Clinic. The land, promised land had, had all the Ite families, you know, and Amorites and Canaanites and everybody else, Ites that were against what God was doing to bring them into the promised land. And they were going to have to battle, and they didn't know how to battle. Well, they were understandably, understandably, they were afraid of what lay ahead. But here's the problem. They think with me a minute, and you know this, they had seen how God had delivered them from Egypt, right? Brought them through the Red Sea. The water parted. You know, doubters say, well, the water at that time was only an inch deep. Well, that's even more of a miracle that God drowned all of Pharaoh's army in an inch deep of water. That's even bigger miracle. But how he led them out with the waters parting on dry land, how he fed them, clothed them. Their clothes never wore out for 40 years. But here they were facing going into the promised land and having to do battle. But instead of bringing their fear before the Lord and just presenting themselves, Lord, we are afraid of this, and God giving them an answer, what happened? They chose to murmur against God in their tents. And I know you and I don't do that as believers. We don't do that to God. We just, yay, God, we're all going and we're fighting. We're ready. We're ready to roll. Right. But they were fearing God and they chose to murmur in their tent. And the result of their self-counsel, or we call it self-talk to themselves, the conclusion of that is shocking. Look with me in Deuteronomy 1.27. Look at what they said about God and about his ability to bring them in. They said, because the Lord hated us. He has brought us out into this land uh, from Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. What a, what a horrible self-concept. God had done all this and proven himself. He was good to them. He had a destiny for them. He had a future to them. But their counsel of themselves and how they viewed it, they were so afraid. They said, the Lord's hated us so bad. He's brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Wow. It couldn't make it any clearer that, you know, we're always preaching to ourselves. When problems come, when challenges come, I don't even like to call them problems anymore. They're challenges. They're adventures that the Lord is taking you and I on so that we can gain the land and gain victory and glorify our Lord. Listen, just as maybe it's silly to you. But just a prime example, when we prayed, we declared, they were saying it's a 100% chance of rain here Thursday. All day into the night, thunderstorms at night, it was going to get nothing but worse. We took a stand 
and said, Father, we're not just giving out candy and having things for children to be a safe place. Lord, we're preaching the gospel to people that come on this property, and we're agreeing with you, and we're taking authority over the elements, and we command it. We did. We In staff meeting Wednesday, we declared it. We wrote on the whiteboard. The number one thing was no rain. It will not rain until we said at first, 9 o'clock, and then somebody chimed in and said, no, that's not enough time. We've got we to gotta have time to clean up the field. So we said it won't rain then until 1030. We took a stand, and we took another stand. We said angels will be here to minister to the heirs of salvation, and the presence of the Lord is going to be here. It's not just a night of candy and fun and a family night. It was that, and it was fun. But we said, Lord, we're standing with you, and we're agreeing, and we're taking elements. We're, we're doing what Jesus did when he stood in the boat and rebuked the wind and the waves. Jesus said, you can do what I do because I'm going back to my Father and even greater things than I did. We simply did that. And that may be a simple, it may be to some people a foolish thing. Some people may say it's a dink coincidence. But I'm saying God hears the prayers of his people that are trying to do his will and God will stop the elements and he gives us authority over the elements. And I prayed, one of my prayers was, God, let it happen so that your people will know that, Lord, you hear our prayers and you respond to our prayers when we're seeking first the kingdom of God and to do your will. And he did it. It didn't surprise me. I went on to bed. Pastor Greg and, and Vince and others told me, said exactly at 10.30, on the minute it began to rain there in the parking lot. Hallelujah. But these Israelites, they had such a view of themselves. They had such a bad, wrong view of God's love for them. They said, oh, look how the Lord hates us. And some people believe that about God. When something goes wrong in people's life, they, they, they immediately the devil's there to fire a fiery, shoot a fiery dart into your brain. Yeah, if God loved you, why is this happening to you? If God loved you, why did that loved one die? If God loved you, why did you get fired? Why are you being treated like this? Why is this happening in your life if God loved you? Those are lies. Those are fiery darts from the enemy. Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God that loves us, that has nothing but good in mind for us. Yes, we live in a sin-cursed, demon-infested world and planet, but our God gives us the victory over the enemy in the name and power of Jesus Christ. You're going to go through stuff. You're going to be attacked. You're going to have battles. But those battles are there to, for you and I to agree with God and, and get signed up and linked up with God to prove that our God is greater than our circumstances and challenges. Amen. Amen. And our understanding of this God that so many people accuse nowadays or doubt his existence or, and have become so disillusioned and so disappointed. I guess that's the biggest word. So many people are disappointed with God. I see Christians all the time disappointed with God because he didn't answer prayer when they wanted, like they wanted, how they wanted, or not even at all yet. And there's disappointment. The way that we answer questions that we have, we all have them, and this is what Ancient Paths deals with, our ministry that wanted Amanda lead and others on the team. And this is what Steps to Freedom does. It helps people to answer these questions because these are the questions. I'm going to tell you five questions that most people ask about themselves and about God. Not only, not only Christians, but also unbelievers, but both. And the number one question that people ask, and especially asking today, is God really good? Is he really good? 
Because a lot of people say, you know, if you talk to somebody that's not old, they say, well, if God's so good, then how come children suffer in the world? And how come this is happening in the world? How come famine is happening in the world? How come these storms are happening in the world when hundreds of thousands of people get killed all at once? You know, why, why is that? If God is so good, why is that? Uh, you can rest assured that the goodness of God will confuse you. You cannot figure out God and His ways. What looks good from God's perfect eternity to eternity perspective, it doesn't always seem good to us who live on the street level of every day. We're sitting there wondering, if God, God, what are you doing? Why did this happen? But I want to give you some scriptures that are God's word that testify, and these are just a few of many that are there for us, that thank God they're there to encourage us, to give us the right perspective that God is good. Romans 8, 28, we know, and you should know, and the things that we go through will help you to know that all things do work together for the good of them that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. Now, when I was a brand new Christian, I just thought life was going to be perfect. There'd be no more problems. I thought it was going to be a utopia. I was 18 years old, and I had this mindset that, wow, this is great. I'm safe. I'm the presence of Jesus. I'm forgiven. I've got a new life, a new start. And, man, everything's just going to be great. No more problems. My mom wasn't even a Christian and had to bring me back to reality. She said, son, there is no utopia on this earth. You've got to realize that. But I didn't believe it until it didn't take many days before things went in reverse and, and things started happening. And I realized that's not true. I am going to have problems. And what I've come to realize, maybe you, maybe this is too simple for some of you, but the way that I've come to understand it is somehow supernaturally, God takes the bad that happens. He didn't cause it, but God takes the bad that happens in my life, and he takes the good, and he's got some big super-duper supernatural blender, and he throws it all in there. It's kind of like making some kind of shake that looks like, yuck, but it's supposed to be good for you. We used to do that at home. We don't do that anymore. It looked like yuck, and it got to where it didn't taste good. So we just said, we're not doing this anymore. You know, those health shakes. But God takes the good and the bad, and somehow he throws it into his blender. And he pushes that last button, that number 10 button that's called puree button. And when you puree it, you can't tell what was put in that blender. It's also chopped up, ground up, mixed up, gooed together. That It just is one mass. That's how I understand God takes the good, the bad, the ugly, the blessings, the hardships, the challenges, the fights, the warfare. God takes it all together, and somehow it works out for my good, and it works out for your good. If we can believe God and believe that, God, you are good no matter what happens to me, Lord. Your word declares you have my good in mind, and, Lord, what I'm going through is to form and to shape and to refine and test my character. And purify me. I just read this morning in the book of Hebrews how Jesus, though he was human, yet he was a son. It says, though he were a son, yet he suffered in order to become perfect or mature. Jesus as a human being, the human being Jesus, he suffered and what he went through was to perfect him, to purify him, to make him the perfect high priest so that he could go to God. Listen, Jesus legally did what Adam and Eve failed to do. And because he legally lived the life that pleased God, he was the one that was legally able to purchase our salvation for us. Adam and Eve failed. Jesus succeeded. Praise the Lord.
And God takes everything that happens to us. And I know for some of us sitting here or listening, it's hard to believe what I'm going through is so bad, it's so hard, it's so difficult, or what I've been going through is lasting for years, and nothing in my life seems to work right. God is somehow working in you, and God is somehow working on your behalf and working behind the scenes. It's like the, the movie The Wizard of Oz. He's behind the screen, and he's behind the curtain, and he's doing what he can do to work his perfect will out for you, and it looks bad now, but it's going to have a good outcome because God always wins. He always does. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says this, as it's written, things that no eye has seen and no ear has heard, and it has not entered into the heart of man, these things God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed these things to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. You and I cannot see now. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. You can't understand what's happened to you. You can't understand the challenges, the problems, the setbacks, the deaths, the divorces, the the problems with your children. You can't understand it right now. You say, I have done everything to live a godly life. I raised my kids quoting scripture. I sent them to DCA. I sent them to a private school. We loaded them with scriptures. We had prayer with them. We did everything right. And today they're as far away from the kingdom of God as anybody could be. But I'm telling you, hang on, mom, dad. Hang on, grandparents. Because the word that you sowed, it will not it will not return void. It will accomplish what God has sent it out to do, that they will not forget that word. And when they get in trouble and they get in a place, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to their remembrance the word of the living God. Some of you are here today. Some of you are listening today. You've cried your heart out. You've cried all the tears to where you don't even have any more tears for your family members. I'm telling you, hold on. Don't cast away your confidence in God. It has a great recompense of reward. God hears. God sees. Actually, God God loves them and cares more about them than even you do. That's hard for you to believe, but he really does. But he has to work with their will. And in working with their will, God has to sometimes arrange circumstances. God has to allow things to happen. God didn't sin bad. He didn't sin evil. But sometimes the Lord just has to say, Honey, take your hands off of them and put them in my hands and let me arrange the circumstances. I know how to send something to their life that's going to wake them up. I know how to send something in their life that's going to pull the veil and pull the blinders off their eyes and cause them to call out to me and they'll never turn back to a world of sin. And our part is just hang on because God's good and God's faithful and God loves loves them. He's got a destiny for them. He's got a purpose for them. And we've got to fight that fight because the devil's trying to steal it. In James chapter 1, it says, happy is the one who endures testing. We've got a sign-up sheet out in the lobby this morning. All of you that want to go through some testing, sign up. Because it's a happy, blessed are you going to be. You're going to be tested, but you've got to endure it. That means you got to stand, not run, not cave in, not give up, not, not, not forsake the Lord, not think, oh God, not believe the lies of the devil, not believe what the enemy said, like he said to the Israelites, God hates us, he's brought us out here to kill us. The only thing God's trying to kill is your carnal nature flesh. And your trust in the world and yourself. Happy, blessed is the one who endures testing. Because when he or she has stood the test, listen, tests aren't easy. The enemy designed tests to blow you away. But God's letting that test to develop your character and your strength. And if you'll endure that test and you'll, if you'll stand faithful and you'll stand strong with God, you will come out of that test 
with that peaceable fruit of righteousness, as Hebrews says. You'll come out of that test with a new determination. You'll come out of that test a stronger believer, whoever you are, whatever you've been through. You know, we say, oh, God, use me. God says, I've got to develop you first. We don't like the development part. We just want God to wave his magic wand and use us. Listen, you don't have a testimony until you've gone through a test. You don't have anything to share. I used to have to share other people's testimonies. Now I've been through enough hell on earth. I'm not cursing. I've been through enough hell on earth. I've been through enough personal problems. I've been through enough health crisis. I've been through enough stuff. I've seen other people. I've got my own testimony about God can bring you through and God can bring you out and God can give you the victory. You might walk with a limp like Jacob, but you'll still be walking and rejoicing and praising God and you'll still move on to inherit God's destiny and God's blessings for you. And that God leaves you with that limp sometimes remind you that you had to die to yourself but God helped you to overcome yourself and move you into your destiny in the Lord. Amen. Feeling this now. It's all about God is good. There you go all the time. Hebrews 12 6 says this. The Lord's training for your life testing, training. You want to sign up for that too? No, we don't like that. God's training for your life is evidence of his faithful love. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be immature and a baby and a wimpy, whiny, bottle-sucking Christian all your life. He wants to develop you into a warrior that takes the head of the enemy off in every challenge and situation you face. See, I think the Lord let that rain not come and rain start at 1030, exactly what we declared and we proclaimed. God wanted to show some of you. Some of you were shocked. When you heard it this morning, some of you were shocked. See, we're surprised when God answered our prayers. We should not take it for granted, but we should not be surprised. We just say, praise God. We asked. We asked. Some of us are so shocked when God answers our prayer. We just, but that's, God loves us. He wants to give us his, the kingdom. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself from Luke 12. The Lord's training for your life is evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. The Lord's trying to train us, teach us. Second thing, whoa, Jesus help me. Will God, second question people ask, will God do what he's promised? Some of you are sitting here today or listening. Will God really do? So how many of you have had a word of prophecy over your life? A good, good meaning. Some of you never have. That's unfortunate that you've never had that experience. Uh, we, some that's not true, we call it prophet lying. We don't want to prophesy. We want to prophesy. We want God to give you a word because God does have a word. God's always talking. And God's able to give you a word. Because, see, a word comes when you're in a hard time and you need encouragement. And that's what the Scripture says prophecy is for, to encourage, to edify, to build up. And, and there's been times in our life, in ministry, in just our life, that if it hadn't been for that word of prophecy, we would have quit. We would have given up. We would have thought... Dear Lord, we can't do this, and we couldn't in ourselves. But because a word of prophecy came, it gave us hope, it gave us direction, it gave us courage, it gave us strength to keep on holding on and fight the good fight. So will God do what he's promised? Well, the short answer to that is yes. Few questions in life are more important than this because we're small and because we're weak, and since we never really do honestly know what's going to happen next, right? We're humans. We don't know. And since God calls us to do, he does call us to do different and difficult and sacrificial things. 
we need to know that the promises of God being with us are real and reliable. Amen? Amen. Well, let me give you a few scriptures on that. 1 Kings 8.56 Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Now listen to this. Here's the key. According to all that he promised, not a single word has failed of all of his good promise. Did you get that? Not a single word has failed of all of his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses' servant. Isaiah 55, 11, The Lord declares to you and I today, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth, his mouth. It shall not return to him void, empty, or without cause, but it shall accomplish what he pleases, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto he has sent it. It's not your word. It's not your timing. It's God's word. It's his timing. It's his working. We have to trust him. We have to hold on to situations like this. His word that goes out of his mouth, his word, his written word that you and I take and we, we put our trust in, it will not return void. It takes a while. God's developing us. God's working on us. God's working on people. God's working on situations. God didn't, just doesn't have a major, a, a little magic wand that he waves and everything just works out. God's dealing with people's will. He's dealing with our will. He's dealing with our attitudes, bad, good, and whatever. And then I love this scripture, Philippians 1.6. We can be confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you, he that has begun a good work in you, he's begun a good work in every one of us. He will perform it or complete it into the day of Jesus Christ. The first time I encountered that promise, I was in Bible college. You've heard my testimony. Horrible student in high school. Hated school. Found myself in Bible school. Hated the English, the literature, the papers, the math. New math. It's useless math. It wasn't new math. It was useless math. Hated all of those subjects until I began to take Bible. I would, I would go to the prayer room and just, God, am I going to make it? Lord, what am I doing here? I, don't, I can't survive in school. God, I'm horrible. I hate school. What am I doing here? How am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? I went back to my dorm room. Uh, there was a desk there. I had a Thompson chain Bible. I couldn't tell you where Zechariah 1.15 was or what it said. I didn't know the Bible. I was a new baby Christian. I didn't know Scripture. I opened my Bible, and it opened to Philippians 1. And I began to read, and my eyes fell upon that. Being confident of this very thing, he that has begun a good work in you, he is able to complete it, to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. I looked at that. I went, I didn't realize the book could speak to you like that. I didn't realize that this is a living word. It's alive. It speaks to you. It'll find you where you are, and it'll pull you into where God wants you to be. You've got to get into this book and let this book get into you. And from that day on, I said, God, there's hope for me. I'm going to make it. It gave, me, it gave me hope that day. And God's word wants to give you hope today. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're up against, no matter how hard or difficult it is, God is able. He, the good work he's begun in you, he hadn't forgotten it. You're, he hadn't pushed the pause button. It's not on hold. You've not been thrown to the side. You're not a reject project. God says, I will complete the good work that I've begun in you. I'm working behind the scenes. 
means I'm working when you can't see it, just like the song we sing, uh, when we can't feel it, when we can't see it. God is working. He's moving all the time. He will do what he's promised. Third, the question people ask the Lord, is God in control? We hate that word control in ancient past because control talks to us about manipulating. When somebody's controlling, they're a manipulator. Well, that's not God. God's not a manipulator. Yeah, he's not a manipulator. He doesn't make you be saved. He doesn't make you marry somebody. He doesn't make you take that job. He doesn't make you fast. He, God doesn't make you do anything. The Lord Jesus himself was an example. He invites us into the kingdom of God. He invites us to the greatest wedding feast there's ever going to be to become the bride of, the, of the, the, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He invites us, and that's all that God can do. He invites us to come in. We've got to respond. He's not a controller, but he is sovereign, he does, have, he does have a handle on situations. And listen, the devil doesn't fool God. All that's going on today, the world leaders and politicians and all that, and all the deceit, I don't care what party you're in. It doesn't matter. They ain't none of them right. Can I talk Southern to you? They ain't none of them right. They all need Jesus. They all need to be saved. They all need to be seeking the kingdom of God. They all need to be seeking the good of the citizens of the United States of America, not the good of their own pocketbook. All of them aren't like that, but too many of them are. But God's, not, God's not a God that tries to control. God's promises are only as trustworthy to the extent of His authority to cause things, His word to be fulfilled. And what good is God's goodness if God lacks the authority to exercise or follow it through? This is a curious verse in Job 12. I loved it when I read it. Job 12, beginning with verse 7. Ask the animals, and they'll teach you. Sometimes they're smarter than we are. Ask the animals, they'll teach you, or the birds of the sky, and they'll tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it'll teach you. Or the fish of the sea, they're going to inform you. Which of these do not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? They recognize it. Nature recognizes it. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all, human, all the human race. Does not the ear test the words as the palate taste food? Is not wisdom with the aged and understanding bring long life? With God are wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. He is in authority. He has it under control, if we can say it that way. Nothing surprises him. Nothing catches him off guard. Anything that happens to you, it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a surprise that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God knew what was going to happen, but he ran a risk anyway because he wanted somebody to love him voluntarily. The amazing thing about me, to me is that Jesus came. God didn't give up and just say, oh, well, they're gone. That was it and sweep us off the planet and try to create a new, but he worked with what he had left. That's amazing. That's where you and I are. Sometimes God has to work with what we give him, what we got left, but God can do it. And what's amazing is that the Lord sent Jesus to give us a second chance to get right with him, to have the Holy Spirit restored in us so that we could do the good works that he called us to do on planet earth. Bless people, love people, get people saved and born again and help them. Lackey, Free Clinton, y'all are, are doing God's work. You know that. You ladies know that. Here's where I get to where I love this, Matthew 6. Words of Jesus himself. Jesus said, I say to you, and I want you to notice there's a word in there Jesus used four times. It's emboldened, so you'll see it. 
Jesus said, I say to you, take no thought. What's that mean? When you look up that word, take no thought, it means do not be anxious. Do not freak out. Do not be upset. When you and I think about something and we obsess on something, what does it do? It steals your sleep. steals your peace. Some people won't eat. Others are going to eat more. It's just the way we handle stuff, different. But Jesus said, don't take, don't take thought. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. What a word for today. Don't be anxious for your life. That's all inclusive. What you shall eat, what you shall drink for your body, what you shall put on. Because it's not life more than meat and the body more than clothes. This is Jesus. Look at the birds of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to this. Are you not much better than they? Yes, we're the apex of his creation. He loves all the animal life, plant life, all that he's made. God loves it, but he loves us. We're the apex. We're the highest because we have the ability to respond and communicate back with him and have fellowship with him. They honor him. All creation honors him, but you and I can have direct fellowship with him. The rest of the earth didn't do that. Uh, are you not much better than they? Which of you, hear it again, by taking thought, worrying, being anxious, can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, you worrying about it, how can you change the situation? Most of us worry about things that never, ever even happen. Why do you take thought for clothes? Why are you anxious about your clothes? Well, some are. Do I have the right shoes on? Will they like my shoes? Do they like my shoes? Who cares? You got shoes. The people you saw in that shoebox thing, those kids, they don't have shoes. They don't have running water. They don't have electricity, they flip a switch and it comes on. They don't, they don't have warmth. They don't have air conditioning when it's hot. They just have to endure. Why do you take thought? Why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they toll not. Neither do they spend. I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into heaven. Do you understand what that's saying? Their fuel for cooking, baking, whatever was the grass. They didn't have a gas stove or electric stove or a microwave. That was the agrarian culture that they had to use. The, the grass was there in the field one day. They had to cut it down. They used it. It was gone. It was beautiful one day. It was used for fuel the next. That's what it's saying. It's temporary. Today it's, today it's here. Tomorrow it's cast in the oven. Shall he not much clothe you, O you of little faith? It's a rebuke to us. Here it is, is again. Therefore, take no thought. Don't be anxious. Don't freak out. Don't worry. Saying, what are we going to eat? What about my job? What about not enough? Or what shall we drink? Or how will we be clothed? For after all these things the heathen seek. Now one translation, or several translations said, after all these things the Gentiles seek. And with that word Gentiles, when it's translated, it means pagan heathen people that don't believe in God. So therefore it means, so after all these things the world the godless world, the people that don't know God, they're freaking out. They're, see they're seeking. Have you noticed? You know, you, know why, you know why the anxiety is so high? Do you know, why the, you know why the bickering and the fighting is so high, not only in the political realm but every realm? You know why it's so high? You know why it's so intense right now? This is the only world they have. This is all they got. So they're fighting. They're scrapping. They're trying to get a hold on it. They're trying to get a piece of it. They're trying to make sure they survive through it. Listen, not only do we have the promise that he's going to take care of us and provide for us in this world, we've got a better place we're headed to. Yeah. 
This is not our destiny. You ought to be shouting happy over there. This is not, this is, this, listen, this is the worst part of your eternity. This is the worst part of your eternity. And he promises to be with us and to provide us and to take care of us and be a supernatural revelatory God to us to cause us to leave this earth with victory and enter into the gates with victory. Not barely making it, not by the skin of our teeth, not with our, not with our tail end on fire, but with victory. Overcomers. Overcomers. He said, so don't be anxious. For the heathen, the world seeks this. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of this. Listen, whatever you're going through, your Father in heaven already knows. And he's already provided for it. And just in case you don't know, he is a king and he's loaded and he's rich and there is no lack in his kingdom. And all you need to do is go to him and say, Heavenly Father, I remind you, your word says that I have need of these things and I really do have need of it. So, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. And then when he opens a door for you, you got to take it. When he opens a door for you for that job, you got to go and work. Because the Bible says if a person doesn't work, that they should not eat. And the Proverbs is always talking about the lazy person, so lazy they can't even, they can't even put their hand to their mouth to feed themselves. You've got to do your part. When you do your part, God will do his part. When you align with what the principles of God's word says and you put God first and you seek God and you tithe and you give to God and not just your, your money but your time, your talent, when you fulfill your destiny, God says, I'm going to take care of you because you're mine. And when you put yourself on the line for the kingdom of God, the Lord says, I'm going to take care of you. I've got your back. I am your rear guard. But he goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things are going to be added to you. Fourth question a lot of people ask, does God have the necessary power? You and I will be motivated to do what we don't have the natural ability to do when you know, when you're confident that God's power is with you. Did you hear that? You will be motivated to be able to do what you don't have the natural ability to do when you know, when you're confident that God's power is with you. There's things that Jesus said it, without me you can do nothing. But Paul turned around and said it, but with Christ, in Christ, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. You have and I have too. I've been faced with situations in my life. I said, I can't do this, God. I don't know how and I can't. And I've had to stop saying that to the Lord because the Lord rebuked me and said, I don't want to hear that I can't anymore because you can do all things through me who strengthens you. As long as it's my will for you and my calling on you and my destiny and you're moving within my will for you, I will enable you. I will empower you. God qualifies us. You don't qualify yourself. God will qualify you to do the work that he called you to do. And this, is not, this is not just talking about ministry. This is talking about your life, living, raising kids, being successful spiritually speaking as well as in the physical, natural realm. God has the ability and the power. And when you and I have that confidence in Him and we're surrendered to Him and we're lined up with Him, his, that confidence in God's power, it produces courage in us to try, to attempt to do the things. I know when, when we were facing Cameroon, they, they kept saying, I'd been there two years. They said, what's your purpose for coming here? And I said, I don't know. It's just a God connection. I don't know why we're coming here. And they kind of looked at me like, well, you better figure it out. But really, I didn't know why. 
It was just a God connection. And it's like, I don't know, we were just enjoying the fellowship with you and coming and ministering to you. And they said, well, we need training. We need you and Bob Collins to come here for a month at a time. I'm going, that ain't going to happen. Neither one of us have the desire or the time, to be honest with you. I didn't say that way to them. I said, we can't do it. And they said, we need training. We've come out of Catholicism. We've come out of, uh, of uh, uh, Juju and Voodoo. And they had it all mixed together. And you know, you know who they pray to? Whoever answers. You know who they offer sacrifices to? Whoever answers. I mean, it's a mess. And they said, that's what we come out of. We don't know Christianity. And so I came home and I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help them. Help, because I don't know. This is bigger than me, God. This is more. I didn't ask for this, God. We just went over there because you said to go. I didn't ask for this. How many of you told God, I didn't ask for this. I don't want this. That's what I was telling God. I didn't. I was at my godson's birthday party, sitting by the pool, an indoor pool, asking God, what's the answer to this, Lord? They need training. I had not looked at Charisma magazine in years, the Christian magazine. I had not looked at one in years. The guy that owned the house, he had one laying there. It was even out of date. And I picked it up, and I'm weird. I look at a magazine from the back to the front. And I looked at the very back page, and it said, ISOM, International School of Ministry. Caught my interest. I read through the back. I saw the phone number. I saw the website. I went, wow. It talks about training and curriculum in every language. They had over 60 languages at that time. I went, oh, that's kind of curious. The Holy Spirit said, this may be an answer. And so I went on the Internet, and I looked. I read everything they had to offer, and I called them. What do you all do? What are you doing? And this is what I'm faced with. They said, that's what we do. I went, well, I wasn't convinced yet. You know, we're a little stubborn on God. You know, well, is this really, is this really God? <laughs> so one of our missionary friends, Jonathan Augustine, that comes here, I said, Jonathan, have you ever heard of ISOM? He goes, yeah, I have. I said, what do you know about it? He said, not much, but here's the man's name and number that you need to call. He's a missionary, and he knows all about it. He uses that. I called him. He said, this is the best curriculum you can use on the mission field that is in their language that helps prepare and equip them from every level of ministry. The Holy Spirit said, do you believe me now? We have ISIM in five countries in Africa today because of that encounter and I said, God, I don't know. It taught me that when you don't know what to do, you don't know how to do, and it's bigger than you, that there is a God that knows all things. There is a God that can guide you to the side of a swimming pool and pick up a magazine out of the blue that's out of date and has the answer for you right then and there. I was amazed. I, was, I said, Lord, you are so funny how you answer prayer and meet needs. It's an adventure with the Lord. It's an adventure with him. He has the power. I know it's not a scripture, but he does work in mysterious ways. But he works. Does God care about me? Number five, last. Boy, this is the number one question, isn't it? Does God really care about me? People are going through stuff. They're living, trying to live out of divorce, live through a divorce. They're trying to live through the death of a spouse, a loved one, a child circumstances in their life, reversals at work and not, not, not achieving goals in their life, disappointed with themselves and just, just fed up. Does, does God care? 
I'm going to tell you what his word says. Romans 5. Scarcely for a righteous or a good person would one even dare to die. Yet it may be that for a good person someone would dare to die. But God, but God proved, showed his love towards you. And that while you were still a sinner, I don't know about you, but that says me, while I was out there taking the name of the Lord in vain, fornicating, drugging, lying, doing all the things, blaspheming, while I was out there, while I was yet a sinner, Jesus Christ had died for me. Because God saw down the road there'd be a young man, 18 years old, seeking for truth, but yet going in, in all the dark places and couldn't find it but yet having a heart that wanted to know the truth. God is able to speak through the darkest darkness and bring you into his marvelous light because of his love for you. But God showed his love for us that we were while still a sinner. Jesus died for us. Romans 8, what shall we then say to these things if God is for us? Who could ever be against us? You know, there's people against you. There's people wrote things on Facebook this week about you. They Twittered things about you. It broke your heart. It disappointed you. You thought they were a friend. You thought you could fight in them. You thought you could trust them. But nothing can separate you from his love. He would never, even if it's true, he'd never broadcast it about you. Because he loves you. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It's God that justifies us. It's who is he that condemns us? They don't stand. There may be people, but they won't stand. It's Christ that died. Yes, he's risen again. Who's even at the right hand of God. Who's also making intercession for us. See, we think Jesus is up there just party time. He's still at work for you. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for you right now. Of all the billions, six point something billion people in the world today, Jesus Christ, God the Father, takes a personal interest in you. What troubles you, what bothers you, what concerns you, what upsets you, what has you hindered. And he's praying for you. He's praying you'll make it. He's praying for you to be strengthened. He's directing and orchestrating the angels that encamp around about those that love him, that are called to minister to the heirs of salvation. He's, he's directing them. He's instructing them. Oh, you can't see them. You can't feel them. You're not sure that you're even there. But according to his word, they're there. They're there. They're keeping you out of a bigger, worse mess than you're in now. They're trying to bring you into his perfect will and alignment with his will for your life. He's there making intercession for you right now. Who can separate us from this love of God? He goes on, tribulation, no distress, no no parking ticket, no speeding ticket, no no nothing. Okay, see, I'm ringing doorbells right there. Can, that can't separate you, no persecution. The Syrians that are in, in, in Syria right now being attacked by the, by the Russians and other groups, and, and, and they're either, there's thousands of them. Right now, as you and I sit here, thousands of Christians in Syria, they're either forced with fleeing their country or they're going to be killed. As you and I sit here in the comfort of this sanctuary, worshiping God and hearing his word in comfort and safety. We pray for them. Sometimes persecution happens. My prayer for them is that they'll stand strong and not defect. My prayer for them is that they'll 
hang on to the Lord Jesus and, and even if they have to die to give a good testimony that Jesus Christ is my Savior, I will not recant. Because when they die a martyr's death, they have a special reward and crown that they'll receive. My prayer for them is that they'll be faithful into the end. They may not be delivered from persecution. Not everybody is. I can't explain that. I don't know what God doesn't do. I don't know. I don't understand that. I don't have an answer. But I do know that God is faithful. And listen, I don't mean this in a crude way or a light way or jesting way. If they die and their number's called, they're going to be with the king forever. And they'll never face that kind of lifestyle again. They're going to win. Nothing can separate us. Nakedness, peril, sword. As it's written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, no matter in all these things, no matter what you're going through—life, death, problems, issues, challenges—in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We, you, are more than a conqueror. Don't think like those Israelites. Oh, God hates us. He sent us out in the desert to have us killed by the Amorites. No, in all that you're going through, God loves you. God helps you. God delivers you. He either delivers you through it or he's going to take you out of it. Nothing can separate us because we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. He goes on to say, I'm persuaded death, life, angels, principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many, many favorite scriptures. I can't ever say one is a favorite when there's too many. As Pastor Larry comes, a favorite is this, Luke 12, 32. This just touches and helps my heart so much to know how much God loves me and how much God loves people. Jesus said these words, and he says these words to you through his word today. He said, fear not. So many times Jesus would say, fear not, don't be afraid, take courage. He said, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. He wants you to have his kingdom and all that it contains. He is a king and he is, he is, he is so loaded that what you don't have, all he has to do is speak it and you can have it. When you align yourself with this, well, this, is, this is not just name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of stuff. Whatever you need to do his kingdom work and to live the life that he's called you to live, it's his good pleasure for you to have his kingdom, to empower you, to equip and to enable you to have it. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me today? What are you preaching to yourself? Are you like those Israelites? What have I done to deserve this God? Blame God. Listen to the lies of the enemy. Preach God's word to yourself that I've given you today. Know that he loves you so incredibly. He wants to be a father to you and reveal himself. It's your father's good pleasure to give his kingdom to you. I want to ask our prayer teams if they would come, our ministry teams, to come and just position themselves. Today, some of you are struggling you're struggling. And it's okay. It is okay to struggle. You're human. It's going to happen. I struggle. 
I have to bring myself. That's why daily we need to be in that word to remind us of who our Father is, how good He is, and His promises for us. That's why every day you need a relationship of talking with Him, checking with Him, praying to Him, talking with Him, reading His word. You need that every day. Because the world, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives you. Let not the world take it away. Don't let the world take your peace that Jesus died for you to have. Hang on. Fight the good fight. Some of you are fighting. Some of you are struggling. Some of you feel like you're losing. That's okay. You're not bad because of that. You're not wrong because of that. That's just where you are. You just need some encouragement. You just need to know and you need to be reminded today what the Word reminded you today. God is for you. He is all for you. He is all about you today. As Pastor Larry leads us inside, I just want to invite you just get out where you are. Just get out from where you are and come. And let them pray with you. Just agree. Just touch base with the Father that loves you today. You are good.